So, Dave, we're deep into the semester. How's it going? Great. You've been busy on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock? Yep. Co-hosting Music Biz 101 and more with you. Who have our guests been? Indie artist and alum Lauren Marsh, PR guru George Dassinger, Rosie Lopez, president of Tommy Boy Entertainment, and Adam Kornfeld, Rod Stewart's booking agent. I miss them. Is there any way I can still hear their words of wisdom? Sure. Every show becomes a podcast that you can hear on our website, musicbiz101wp.com, or on the Stitcher mobile app. And it's all free. Who's coming up next? Grammy-winning producer Harry Wanger, Warner VP Dan Goldberg, Sean Rosenberg, the engagement director at Huge. Oh, that's big. (laughs) I get it. The guests keep getting better and better. Our listeners, too. That's Music Biz 101 and more every Every Wednesday Wednesday at 8 p.m. Only on 88.7 WPSC Brave New Radio. have something to say this is brave new radio 88.7 and you're listening to music biz 101 and more i am david kirk philp your professor you may call me your professor david kirk always here with the fine perfect i always mess up my syllables Perfect, Dr. Esteban Marconi. Good to have you, Dr. Steve Marconi. Did you miss me last week? I missed you very much last week. I was on assignment. You were out on assignment. You yes, could not I was. Be here. And we had an awesome show last week with Zach Matari and Enki Bello. Right, and, yeah, two uh, great students, and I listened to the show. How did the show sound while you were on Outside assignment? Outside of you, it was pretty good, but the, the thing that I didn't like is it was so much... So much accolades and so much butt kissing on that show it was ridiculous. Who was whose bottom was being kissed? Did well, you feel? it was yours more than anyone. <laughs> the students going, I learned so much and he knows so much and and everything was just come on. Yeah. Anyway, that's not cool. You're going to have to start giving out more C's, D's, and F's. I know, I know. I, I know. shouldn't. Uh, yes. We we should bring up the fact that we are on the campus of William Patterson, the university. And if you're looking for a free advice about the music and entertainment biz that can help you succeed, you have come to the right place. Music Biz 101 and more. Our producer tonight and every night is Philip Gorkovsky. Good afternoon. Very good. Our website is musicbiz101wp.com. Go there, sign up for our newsletter. It comes out every Sunday at 6 p.m. We also have a Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook account. They are all musicbiz101wp. I'm on Snapchat, Professor Philp. And, of course, many of you will be listening to this on your Stitcher radio app because this does become a, a podcast. And you bring up students who kick, uh, kiss buttocks. We also have a student with us who kicks buttocks. Ah, yeah, and her name so is Very Jess Frank. Jess Frank, good to have you. Professor Philp. Beautiful segue. So, so I uh, am Jess's professor. So how am I doing? Pretty good. Well, there you go. How's yep. she doing? Yeah. She's I'm doing, doing awesome. Yeah. Okay, if she's doing well in class, then of course she's going to say pretty That's good. Right. That's right. But, well, uh, I could have said he was doing awesome. I said it was pretty good. Ah. Yeah, she wanted to lower the expectation for the <laughs> students who are listening. Very now, good. we should probably bring up that we do have a awesome guest yes. that was brought to us by an awesome faculty member named right. George Dassinger, who's been uh, on our show twice, George mm-hmm. Dassinger. PR, we say PR guru in the promo leading up to us. But can we give George Dassinger a hand? He's sitting in the, in the studio with us. He looks amazing. 
You guys should see. He looks great. This is probably the best he's ever looked. On um, radio, anyway. Yeah, on radio, he's so attractive. Right. But we do have a guest, and our guest today, his name is Steve Walter, and he's the co-owner of New York City famed venue, The Cutting Room. Steve Walter. Great. Steve, say hello to the fine people. Hello, fine people. There we go. This is this is great so far. That's very seductive. The way he said it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Steve is a very seductive Are you trying to person. kiss some ass, too? I hope so. <laughs> That's right. Very good. So, Dr. Steve Marconi, let's jump right in and talk to Steve Walter of The Cutting Right room. away, huh? Okay, great. So, I was looking over your, um, actually, your website today and looking at the talent that's coming up, and it's such a eclectic mix. And how do you do such an eclectic mix and have a place stay open? I think you have to do an eclectic mix because there's no more just folk clubs, no more just blues clubs. They don't, they didn't, there's no more, you know, Folk City, uh, Chicago Blues, Manny's Cars, those are gone. You have to have a broad spectrum of things. There's no special markets. And do you compete with, uh, let's say, Le Poussin Rouge, uh, which is sort of the same uh, and the old knitting factory and so on to some extent they're a little more esoteric a little more avant-garde yeah. uh, poison rouge just more classical and new music stuff also we have a whole front room lounge hangout area mm-hmm. they're, they're just you see the show and you leave right right great um how is it to be in sort of lower midtown on the east side right i think yeah you're... yeah we're east 30 second it's tough because there's no much there's not much nightlife around there but it's an right. area that's going to happen there's more boutique hotels coming around and you got to get in at the beginning because once it happens, you can't afford the rents. Now, do you have uh, repeat clientele that you sort we of do, but it's can mainly, recognize? Yeah, we do have some, especially after work crowds and lunch crowds. But um, it's mainly the band's draw, you know, and they have different followings. But people who have good experiences with the bands check our website for similar things and come back again. Right. It's interesting that uh, you have this, uh, the cow sales coming up. Yeah, I'm for the, excited about that. Yeah, it's, it's the 40th? The 50th. First stop 50th, on the 50th God, anniversary tour. And if you haven't seen that documentary, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you go from that to, um, got almost jazz, yeah. um, sort of that in between, not jazz, not. Yeah, anything that's rock. done well. We have big bands, singers, songwriters, comedians, yeah. even burlesque sometimes. Um, all kinds of music. We've done new music where somebody was playing cauliflowers with sensors. You know, it could be anything. <laughs> great, great. So how do you find these people? Usually they find us. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, word of mouth, um, we, agents call or bands call from all over the place, emails. So it's that's not hard. And do they... Uh, Give you a video, or do they? Yeah, they they usually send sometimes. They usually they send uh, something to download to listen to, and we check their websites, how many followers on Facebook, that kind of thing. Okay, so in general, it's really sort of like a mom and pop operation rather than uh, a CAA or an ICM calling you and saying you got to book this act, and if you want this headliner, we. You got to take this baby band too, and no, it's not that like that. It's definitely mom pa. We definitely from the heart. You know, it's it's like old school. Yeah, it's great. I was there once, but it was several years ago. I know I was there. Dave, you have anything to 
ad right now. No, thank you very much, Steve. Okay, and that's uh, it. next guest. No, 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 why don't we get into just the, the venue itself? Okay, you yeah. mentioned it's uh, East Side. What's the address so everybody knows? Forty Four East Thirty Second between Park and Madison. All right, the, the, that, that's the cutting room. What is the size? How many does it seat? How about two physical size, actually square footage, and then how many people does it seat? Um, the ground floor is seven thousand square feet, and there's a mezzanine around the perimeter. That's you know a couple thousand more. We have a wall between. So we can see the tables and chairs under 185 in the back room, like a supper club, and that's make that's very intimate. We have a large national act, so we can take out the dividing wall. You got four or five hundred people, you know. Was it always a club? That's no, it was a carpet store. Really, it was actually built in 1918 as a lingerie factory. God, (laughs) but it was a white box when we got in. It was a lot of work. Uh, And how long you been there now? At this location, um, t- two years, over two years and a couple months. We were at the old location for 10 years. On and where was that? That was on West 24th. That's Broadway. where I went. Yeah. So wh- why, did, why did you relocate? Well, well the lease was up. They jacked the rent to 50000 a month, and it's really? still sitting empty. But that was 4,000 square feet. This one's seven. It's much nicer. So we wanted a bigger space anyway. So I knew we could do um, larger um, events and parties and have more larger national acts of the bigger space, and it's worked. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, with the bigger space, you're paying lower rent than you were paying in the Not much before. more, to tell you the truth. Uh-huh. There is more overhead. we got a bigger kitchen. Food's become a bigger part of it. We have better food. So um, it's definitely worked. What it, When you're selling the idea of a show to people, you just mentioned the show. You mentioned the intimacy. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk about what your pitch is to the consumer so that they come in. What are you thinking? What are the points that... Well, it's quality on all levels. You're coming into a room that sounds great. We treated the rooms. So you're up there like Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center, we hope. That kind of really good acoustics. Mm-hmm. Table and chairs. There's artwork like Marcus Dobby original artwork around. There's 18 Stratocaster chandelier. The bars are 45-foot hand-carved uh, Fender Stratocaster bar. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So you're walking into a nice environment, clean restrooms, good, healthy food, fresh pasta, Pat free to meats, really good stuff, mm-hmm. specialty cocktails, pretty girls are waiting on you. So we try to just get everything on a quality level. The baby boomers who sat in the mud at Woodstock have now grown up and they want a comfortable chair and they want to be <laughs> comfortable and get good food and good good acoustics and all that. So that's what we try to make it the best possible experience. Yeah, and that's the next question is who 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 is your client or customer and how did you find out that that particular person was your customer okay well that depends on the bands if mm-hmm. you know it could be black could be straight could be gay could be old could be young depends on the band but we are getting a lot of baby boomers because they grew up with music they're so strongly affiliated with that mm-hmm. so our eight o'clock show is usually baby boomer supper club steak free it's a bottle of wine as it gets later it gets younger so if we're getting 10 11 o'clock bands you're getting more downtown younger kids you know so it really depends on the act and you get usually one headliner and some opening acts, or how is it structured? Um, yeah, it's, it's nothing. It's it's loose structure. It could be a few bands tonight. It could be one. Uh, the headliner could be 8 o'clock, could be younger bands later. You know, it depends. It's pretty pretty flexible. Everybody wants the 8 o'clock slot, 7.38. It used to be the other way around. Everybody used to want the late slot. Yes. And New York has changed so much. The nightlife is almost non-existent because people can't afford to live there anymore. <laughs> so they're in, you know, Hoboken, Jersey City, Brooklyn, Astoria. So Manhattan just isn't what it was. So people would first come out at 10, 11 o'clock. They were working less hours. Now they're working 70 hours. They don't have disposable income they had when things were better. So the artists, the musicians, the writers that... The creative people that used to live in Manhattan can no longer afford to, so it's changed dramatically as far as getting staff, getting bands, and even the crowds are driving in from Westchester, Long Island, Jersey, that, that whole thing. So, And your competition, you, it's interesting because you brought up Hoboken, Jersey right. City, you know, so your competition is, is the city. 
You yeah, know? is yeah. it? And I would guess Brooklyn. Could, Brooklyn is so to some cool extent. Hip, Brooklyn's but, a little younger and more alternative. Uh-huh. You know, mm-hmm. and there's smaller rooms. It's generally Manhattan. We are a little different in the fact that we do have a separate room in the front, and it's, so it's it's convertible room. Nobody's really doing that. My competition, you'll go see a show and you leave. It's like going to a concert hall. The kind of you can hang out after you can hang out before in the front room. It's a whole lounge, you know, thing, lounge scene. A lot of them are just like in Times Square. Tourists are dropping in and seeing a show and leaving. How does it compare to a place like City Winery, which has gotten a lot of yeah? Um, well, well, first they're a chain. They're they're mm-hmm. in Nashville, Napa, Chicago. So it's it's you know the whole more of a corporate structure. It's not elegant or glamorous, glamorous like Gold New York. And it's also not urban like downtown New York. It's kind of woodsy. Mine's like Seattle or Portland or something. Acoustic, and they have a lot of older like Steve Forbert and mm-hmm. Sean Cole, older acoustic kind of acts, old bottom line kind of acts. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's more bridge and tunnel than by the Holland Tunnel. And again, I don't think you're hanging out there. I know they have the wine thing. But you see a show and you leave. It isn't really conducive to just let's go to City Winery and hang out. We have people that just come to the cutting room to our front bar and hang out. And we started doing lunch as well. So I think that's that's the main difference. You know? When I was at CBS, I know that they work with Fresh 1027 and CBS FM. So when uh, CBS FM or Fresh 1027 hold promotions, they give away tickets to the listeners. It's usually at the City Winery when I was there. So I saw a bunch of up-and-coming bands as well as oldies that are played on CBS FM. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're doing that. Yeah. They, they do advertise that, so they, uh, they do that with them. So do you run two different uh, shows at the same time? Back room and front. Oh room. no, no front room is more of a lounge, hangout room, waiting room, okay. that kind of thing. We only run the run shows when it's when the walls are. We have a sixteen foot screen, so we project the stage onto that as well. Oh. Even though you could see it from anywhere, we put that there, run through the sound system in the front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why New York City? Why is your venue New York City instead? Well, we well, we were there for ten years. In New York, is still the mystique in New York. It's not what it was, but. Um, the long-term plans to open up in other major cities to put the carbon copy, the bar, the chandelier, and do what we do in other music music cities. But I think you need that New York mystique. You know, New York is still – and to get the quality of the acts that we get, they're in New York. You know, I don't know if Ronnie Wood and Mick, Mick Taylor are going to come to, you know, other areas. They, they come to New York because they want to be in New York. Mm-hmm. And you're getting a lot more celebrity walk-ins and, and all that kind of thing. Labels are here. I mean, L.A. has that as well. There are other cities, but certainly New York is one of them. And do tourists come down to out of Times Square down to uh, from the re- from the hotels in the area? Uh huh. Let them do, yeah. Right. Okay. And do you do advertising in the general area of the club? To some extent, print isn't as effective as it was. So of course, it doesn't really pay to spend much on it. We've tried with little results, so we do get page six stuff, things like that. Mm-hmm. It, with social media today. It's it's taken up a lot of the print, so we try to you know blast things out in Facebook and all that, which is all new to me. I'm old school, you know. Right, but how about um, you know little cards and so on on the on the desks of the hotel, you know, in the area that this. Yeah, is we the area we do so. put some schedules out. We have to get more on that for sure and talk to concierges and, and work that. You know, right. with security today, it's hard to get in the office buildings around. You know, to, yeah, to absolutely. Well. It's not like it was. Sure. Why don't, why don't you talk about your your whole structure from ownership? Because because you're obviously a co-owner, and we know. Right. Uh, explain to people who your co-owner is and how that relationship happened, and then the whole structure of the of the venture from that all the way down to your marketing and to your personnel and all that kind of stuff. 
Okay, well, there's some silent investors put up some money. Chris Noth is the one that you know gets the attention because yeah. Mr. Big and all that. So he, you know, he's he's in from the old cutting room. I have I'm the managing member, so I have all the I do all the work and headaches and all that. The rest of them aren't, aren't really there, so I have the lion's share of it. So um, I'm the head cook and bottle washer. And then, you know, there's administrative people in the office. There's a booker. You know, there's this chef and all the people in the kitchen. Um, there's somebody who does the social media stuff. We've had publicity firms. with Not great results, but we had a few of them. Um, sound man, really important. we got a good sound man because he's like a member of the band. They have to, you know, feel confident with him. So he's Do sound men, like... Um do you get ones that come with bands, or do you actually employ your own? Oh no, we have a we employ a full time one with a few backups. Some bands do bring their own, but you still need your guy there to show them what what to do like and help them. What you them have out. that's different from other people's venues because you may have like a different setup or something that they. Oh yeah, yeah, to... they might know not know our board as well where this is where that is, and they keep in our equipment. We have a lot of expensive equipment, so it keeps time that. I mean, it's very helpful to the uh, visiting bands. They're happy about that. I think I think traveling bands make a mistake when they have their guy do sound because when you have the house guy, he knows the little idiosyncrasies of the room, and he they always make it sound better. They bring a road guy. Their guy, he's okay, but he doesn't know the room as well, so it never sounds as good as what our guy can do. But I understand why. They probably have bad experiences at certain places with yeah, sound men aren't good. But our guy does a really nice job. And we, again, we treated the room. We have really good backline equipment. So bands leave really happy. That's the most important thing to bands is the sound. They don't care about the hospitality junk they eat. No, they, if the sound is good, you know you're there, and that's important to them. And then there's bathroom attendants, clean restrooms. You know, everybody's important. It's, it's, it's a house of cards. It all has to work. Certainly waitresses, busboys, bartenders, all that. You know, and, and during the days when is when I'm, I'm I wake up and come there. It's like a ninety hour week because you have to order the liquor, repair manner during the day. You got to go to your accountants and lawyers and all that stuff all day long, all the nine to five stuff. And then at five o'clock, the staff is coming in, and, and, and the show begins, and you got to do that whole thing, all the staff and you put it together. And, and so all definitely that. a labor of love. Oh God, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> where you better love it and feel very passionate about it, and not have much life outside of there because it won't it won't keep. Right. What what is it that you that you're most passionate about? Well, the music what is it that for drives sure. you? Yeah. Yeah. I my bachelor's music composition is from Berkeley, so I saw the Beatles and Ed Sullivan and I was hooked. So my great satisfaction comes in meeting some boyhood heroes, like sending two hours of Roger Daltrey and people like that. Even some monkeys and Donovan, I mean mm-hmm. and then when great studio musicians are up there or Billy Cobbin plays for three days or you know, Ronnie Wood, McTaylor, Al Cooper, Simon Kirk, it's like wow. And then I get mm-hmm. to talk shop with these guys, you know. And, and studio musicians, you're on this cut or that cut, and it's amazing. Some of the guys in Wings, we've had a lot of them talk about, you know, B- Jeff Emmerich from the, you know, Beatles engineer. So my thrill comes from talking to these guys, having dinner with these guys, taking the castles off for dinner Friday. <laughs> I always like, what was it like on Ed Sullivan, all that kind of stuff. But um, so that's my, and sometimes you sit there, and I can't be Judy Collins doing both sides down. I'm, you know, only feet away. And you right. just get chills. Or Jimmy Webb telling the stories of the songs he's written and why. Those kind of things. We did a um, a live Howard Stern broadcast with Billy Joel for three hours and Pink and Tony Bennett and Boyce Men and Melissa Etheridge and, uh, and Dina Mandela all in the building at one time. That was amazing. Steve Leeds is there. That yeah. was that was an amazing, amazing time. We have Jennifer Hudson twice. Billy Joel's been twice. Pete Seeger's last advertised performance. That was what a sweet guy he was. Sitting in office to talk to him. He spoke of his days with Woody Guthrie and all that. So that's that's my satisfaction of doing it. You know, it's. It's like, wow. And Eddie Brigatti, the Rascals, gave us the Rascals' original Hammond B3 organ. He had it sitting in his 
barn since 1970. <laughs> I'd happened to mention to him I was looking for a B3, and he said, uh, I know he's got the original um, Rascals B3. And I said, really, who? And he goes, somebody you know well, me. And then he gave it to me, and we called up... Um, there's a gentleman who worked at the original Hammond factory in his 80s now, Paul Suter. Picked it up from Eddie's, fixed it. Eddie paid for it and brought it, and it sounds so beautiful and warm. And Eddie said, there's no place in the universe he'd rather see it. So uh, those right. are the – that's my satisfaction, those kind of yeah. things, you know. Wow. That, that is great. So talk about – because we – I'm going to – the next question I will preface, we had Julie Greenwald, who's the president of Atlantic Records. She right. was she was in last night. Steve Leeds was actually interviewing sure. her. And she was talking about the balance between having a real life and working the the crazy hours of somebody running one of the biggest record labels of the world. Right. Um, I know you mentioned you've th- you've thrown out all the numbers of you know ninety hours a week and all that kind right. of stuff. So, do you ha- have you been married? You know, can, no, can no you have not even kids? close. No, not yeah, that. yeah, that's that's where I'm kind of going for. Yeah. It, it's not possible. No, is it really? it's not possible. It, people think it, you just you drink and meeting women. It's it's nothing like that. It's just a lot of work. Every day you're putting out fires. You don't know what you're going to walk into. What what broke today? Who didn't show up? You know, what problem? There's a blizzard and there's a top band coming. You just don't know. It's always putting out fires. A lot of stress. A lot of stress. Especially in today's New York, it's so difficult. Every government agency is trying to strip you up because they make money doing that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's all geared. Manhattan is geared for large corporations. You know, Panera Bread and Chipotle and 7-Eleven and Applebee's. That's more coming banks and Dwayne Reeds, of course. So that's coming in more. And the little guys, little bookstores and record shops and boutiques and restaurants and guys like me, it's tough. And it's tough to compete with, you know, the AEGs and Live Nations and BBs have five places. So why do they have the buying power? It's like a boutique competing with a department store. So it's not geared for the small guys. So it's very tough. So you, you know, it's not like it used to be. (laughs) And it it sounds like that you create an atmosphere for the artist right. that they'll want to play and take less. Exactly. Yeah, the artists want to play. you got to bypass the agents and managers because all agents are thinking about is their 10%. Right. The managers look more for the long, you know, long-term career. Exactly. But artists love playing here because it reminds them of their days like at the Cavern Club and or places, little places where they start. They love it. They mm-hmm. have a blast. They don't have to go with sad lists. They can do covers, they all kinds of stuff. And it's important to do that. We had Joan Rivers every Wednesday for four years at the old cutting room. And she didn't take any money from the door. She gave it to charity. And it was a fairly cheap ticket price. But she did it to stay topical, to keep her chop sharp. Yeah. And she could be doing Vegas, the same old jokes, making a fortune. And musicians got to get more into that. You can play the garden and make money, but you're not going to do new things and push yourself. And, you know, and and that's what they got to get back to if you want to stay on top. You know, and and that's what Ronnie Wood did. He played Jerry Reed songs for four days with us. He loved that (laughs) stuff. And Kerry Clark Jr. joined him. And it was amazing. He had a blast. And Al Cooper came and played organ. And and that's what that's why they got into music, because they love music, not just to you know, how much more money do you need? You know, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I want to see more of. All right. We should remind everybody we're listening to Music Biz 101 and more on WPSC Brave New Radio. Tweet us questions for Steve Walter from the Cutting Room at Music Biz 101 WP. You had talked uh, earlier about uh, some of the costs and how the city, for example, you know, is, is constantly trying to do that. If somebody's trying to start up a venue in New York City, um, how did you get going? How did you meet your silent investors? How did you meet people who were going to give you money to run this? What gave you your experience? Well, I had to kiss a lot of frogs till I found, you know, you go through a lot of wasted time meetings and things. Um, I fell into it by mistake, the original cutting room, but this one, you got to, you have to have a good business plan and talk to people, which isn't my strength. I'm not good at asking for things, but, um, yeah, I found people that liked music. So I don't want anybody's blood money or their kids college. I did it in people that can afford to do it. 
Because it's certainly a risky business the way restaurants fall. So that that's it. My biggest thing I'd say to anybody is make sure you have extra capital, have enough. I don't. And it makes it very tough to be undercapitalized. Very tough. Because there's going to be all kinds of things you're not going to see coming. You need a buffer. So that made it really tough. So that's the number one thing. And it's going to be very time-consuming. There's going to be a lot of stuff that you can't imagine is going to come your way. And nobody, you know, the building department, the health department, all kinds of stuff. And they're in no rush to go over your plans to get you open or anything. So, you know, that's that's the hard part. It's harder to get staff without people living in Manhattan. You know, the middle class, is, it's for the privilege there now. So it's definitely changed. But um, think about it good because it's a lot of hours and it takes a lot of extra money. But um, finding partners, just get a good business plan. Seem to be confident about what you're doing, you know, be straight with them. And you said you fell into it. So how did how did you fall into it? I was working in the garment center as women's coat manufacturer for like 15 years. And a, a girl I was working with, her husband was going to open up a club. He had some background booking at Kenny's Castaway. So I was a small investor for kicks because I always had, you know, my love of the music and my degree was in that. Um, he was never there. I'd walk down. He wasn't there. Okay, well, he didn't know construction. So I'd get out of my suit, put on a flannel shirt and jeans and start spackling and painting. Got the construction finished. And then he wasn't taking care of business. He wasn't around. So we voted him out as managing member, voted me in. And then he wasn't even booking bands. There was We'd be open. There were no bands. I didn't know one musician let another band. I had to learn quick. And then I bought out 11 partners the first year who uh, weren't really effective. And, um, and then I closed my other business eventually, my, my manufacturing business, and um, just did this full time. It was more fulfilling because the music thing. You know? So it wasn't something I ever said, well, one day I want to open a nightclub. No, I never even worked at a restaurant bar, so I had to learn quick. But I had the music background. So trial by fire, obviously. Totally. Yeah. It's mostly common sense. Fast on your feet and common sense, you know. Mm-hmm. People right. biz. you got to like people and be a people pleaser and a fixer and all that. So I'm sure this question is going to come up, but I'll, I'll ask it now anyway. So I'm an original artist, and I'd like to open up. I'd like to play at the cutting room. How do I go about that? Okay, there's, there's three good reasons to, hi- to have a band. First of all, they're great, and then you get behind them, which I always do, and that's that fine line of commerce, art and commerce that I always walk. So if a band's really good, but they don't have following, and I really believe in them, and they're serious, I always get behind them and try and give them a space to play. I think it's important. Where would the Beatles be without Hamburg? Mm-hmm. Second reason is they're going to pack your room. So at times you get, you get bands that aren't really that good, but they're going to keep your doors open by packing the room. The third reason is high-profile. Um... You know, like we're doing a thing with um, Pat Moynihan from Train is doing a top 20 countdown on VH1. They're doing it at the cutting room. They're not paying us, but the exposure is good. So that's the three reasons. High profile for exposure. They're going to bring people to make money or the band's really good. Now, if you get two or three of them, it's great, but isn't usually the case. So that's what, that's what we look at. They're going to be, have one of those at least, you know. Uh-huh. And, and as far as openers go, a lot of bands don't, big bands don't really want openers. But if it's congruent, I've done some and it's, and it's worked out well if it's the right band for the right opener. Mm-hmm. But we try to get behind bands that are we had you know lady gaga got signed at the old cutting room uh, john legend played there when he was john stevens Nora jones you having to grow had a had every you know had a friday residence so we've had a lot of young up-and-comers over the years do you have any uh lunchtime music no music lunch it's hard to get people uh, out for that okay. we are going to start a sunday brunch however possibly a new orleans sunday sunday uh. brunch brunch has become a real big thing in the city yeah. So when, yeah. Okay. When you, when you do when you decide to expand your hours a bit to do like a Sunday brunch, right. do you actually sit down with you know with like a spreadsheet and say here's how much it's going to cost, 
And have, do you do research to figure it out, or is it your gut saying, you know, you just said, you know, brunch is a thing in the city. So are yeah, you a little actually... bit of both. Well, you talk to people and you start to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe not as formal as a spreadsheet because I'm not that organized. But, um, yeah, we'll write yeah. stuff on paper and see what the market bears and find creative ways to do it and all. We have to expand the hours because you're paying so much rent. And if the city's not going to go as late, you got to find a way. So if it's earlier, then you got to constantly reinvent and constantly change or that it'll go right over you become a museum. So there's a lot of creativity in Absolutely. what you do. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of minutiae day-to-day there stuff mm-hmm. and tremendous organization, but you still have the op- – you can look at it from a big picture and, hey, let, let's do brunch. And with this brunch, we're going to bring in this kind of band. Yeah. That, you know, we'll have uh, – uh, Jambalaya brunch, you know, we'll bring in uh, Cajun music or, yeah. you know, you can do stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. Got to constantly find, think outside the box, new creative things haven't been done to separate you from everybody else. You know, it's hard. And find that niche. All right. Yeah. So uh, we're going to come back because uh, Jess Frank is going to ask some hard hitting questions that she has for you. When we come back, we're also going to take your tweets. Tweet us at MusicBiz101WP. We should mention you're listening to The World is Ours by the Ally Mac Project, who won our theme song contest and you are listening also to music biz 101 more on wpsc brave new radio 88.7 on the campus of william patterson university we will be right back how can i make money in the music business why copyright should i make a cd anymore trying to break into the music and entertainment biz wondering how the business works wondering how guys like elton john and mc hammer go bankrupt why am I not making any cash? Tune in to WP Brave New Radio every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Hang with the university's music business faculty hosts, me, Steve Marconi. And me, Dave Phil. Plus, we'll have industry guests and students from the music management program. How do I get gigs down at the shore? Call in with your questions and hear the latest in industry happenings. How do I get my music on iTunes? How do I get on a tour? It's Music Biz 101 and more every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Only on WP Brave New Radio. Your secretary's got our checks. Mine's direct deposit, I think. (laughs) If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP 88.7 Brave New Radio. We've got managers, producers, record labels. Wednesday at 8pm You're listening You're listening You're listening You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more Alright, 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 alright We are back, Music Biz 101 and more WPSC Brave New Radio 88.7 On your FM dial Some of you may be listening to the podcast On your Stitcher radio app So we thank you very much Or listening from the download on our website, musicbiz101wp.com, so we appreciate that. Next week on our show, what is this? Today is the 8th. Next week we have Michael Kurtz, who is yeah. the co-founder of Record Store Day. So uh, that's coming up on the, tw- on the 15th. On the 22nd, we have a guy named Josh Bernstein, who runs the Alternative Press... Is it Alternative Press? Um, festival in Cleveland. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then... Um, 
After that, it is Angelo. Can you pronounce his last name? I think it's Benamante. Benamante, and I think it's got two more syllables somewhere in there. But mm. he is a uh, film composer and has d- done a number of uh, big time movie soundtracks. So he's coming in as well. And also was the uh, uh, composer for Twin Peaks. Or, Oh, Anybody that's remember right. that show, and it was trying to come back now, but David just Lynch, got canceled. Yeah, or, or David, David Lynch, Lynch just dropped it out. They yeah. won't uh, give him the money he wants. That's great to to do it correctly. He says. So it's came down to the money. You just heard a, a nice little jingle by our friend Tim Geisen. So we thank you, Tim, for doing that. We're with uh, Steve Walter, co-owner. Is, would you say co-owner of the country? Yeah, because there's yeah, there's uh, there's investors. Yeah. Okay. Um, one, one more question back before we hand it over to Jess. And by the way, one more big thank you to George Dassinger for bringing you in today. George, if you have anything you would like to chime in with, please certainly uh, push job. me over. Oh, George, he's so great. Uh, getting back to the silent investor part, because there, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who would say, I would love to get myself an investor. Can you go just back and kind of drill down just a little bit? How did you network and meet these particular people. I know you talked about how you started your first club right. and how you kind of fell into that, but for the cutting room, um, you know, how did you meet a lot of these people who have given you money? Just talking to people and getting the word out that you're looking for it. And then people know people that, that are into music, that might have money, they send them your way. I mean, you've got to talk to a lot of people that fall through. People promise you stuff. They put you through all kinds of stuff. Then they change their mind or something happens. And also, when I was looking, it was a bad time. It was when the whole market fell and the economy was in the gutter. Mm-hmm. So it's probably the worst time in history. But um, like somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who loves music. One guy was a fan of the old cutting room. Um, so th- that kind of thing. So it's people that usually, they all like music. That was the one thing. Do they hang out there? Maybe one does. The rest of them don't even. Some people, they, what they call that um, adventured, adventure capital. Adventure capital. Yeah, because yeah. they want to hang out. It's like co- the cool factor. That's one reason some could do it. Um, How did you get c- hooked up with uh, Chris? No. Oh, at the original cutting, we met through the accountant. He was between Law & Order and Sex in the City at the time. I didn't know who he was. But he was in, actually in before me as an investor. And that's how we met. Then we became friends after. And, you know, and that's how we became good friends after. Is he that. a New Yorker? Oh, yeah, very much so. He goes back and forth to L.A. now because of his sure. business, but he's definitely prefers New York. He's New so, so and he's the one guy who doesn't mind lending his name to yeah. it just because that'll bring Sure, exactly. That's what, that's what he brings sort of. to the table, yeah. And he loves music, and he has good taste in music, so he does enjoy that. And he loves the jukebox. He's nuts with that, picking out mm-hmm. the jukebox stuff. Let me bring one more. Th- I keep saying, then we'll go to Jess, but let's talk about you're, you're a, a business owner. You're, you're playing music. Um the pros, you know, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. Right. Can you explain, did you know that you needed to play, pay the pros or did they come to you they going back? They came to us at the okay. old cutting room. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that adds up too. <laughs> yeah, so you need to budget, obviously, yeah. when you're putting together, I don't know if you're exactly. putting together a yearly budget or not, but um, what, it's different if you have live music versus if exactly. you just have a jukebox. It's a fee a for live music, jukebox, karaoke, how many hours a day, are you charging a mm-hmm. cover charge, all that, and they factor it in. And number of seats as Yeah, well, exactly, right? number okay. of seats. So it's you know, kind of is it, is it thousands of dollars a yeah. year? Or uh-huh. it's blanket oh, yeah. license that you get for... It's, I'd say we're two to 3000 per each one of those, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, is it CSAC as well? Yes. CSAC, okay. CSAC has kept me, all three of me have to do, yeah. Okay. All right. The CSEC uh, has done some parties, so at least they're, they're worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Right. And again, my final question for now is... Final, uh, final, final. Fi- the final, final question is you had mentioned way back about you have a Stratocaster bar. Yeah. Okay. So have you been getting corporate sponsorship? Like like Fender, have they given Well, money? Fender they gave, gave, gave me the 18 Stratocasters for the chandelier that are okay. up there. They uh-huh. let us pick colors. And they have sent me back amplifiers for the back line. So they've been cool. We did a... Um, pre-crossroads party with them when it was a couple of years ago when I was at the garden so we did that with them they did okay. a party yeah. so Fender um, Zildjian has sent us cymbals Ludwig has given us drums Evans changes our drum heads so we do get um, we do get that kind of that kind of thing Guitar Center is always great to us loaning us stuff and giving us good prices and were those relationships because you reached out to them or somebody on your team did or they um, came to you I knew, I knew someone at um Fender from Rogers and Cowan, who went moved to Fender, so I knew him. So I called him and told him we wanted to do the chandelier, and they they love it. I think that gets more pictures in the Empire State Building, mm-hmm. and the and the bar is a piece of mahogany carved. It's gorgeous, it's sunburst and everything. And then Fender cut us the up uh, the fret markings, you know, the the part of the pearl dots, and a big decal for the the guitar, for the key head, you know, where the keys are. So they certainly are, are behind it. And if they do any parties up here. Great. Okay. And we did stuff at Gibson at the old cutting room as well. And they, I mean, they're cool. I'm sure if he came in and saw the Fender stuff, he wouldn't be happy. But uh, the Stratocaster just a sec- I, and I play Gibsons and Fenders. But the Fen- but a Strat's got that sexy body. That's why I went with that. Mm-hmm. Did Les Paul ever play? At the, the old cutting room, room we did yeah. his 90-something um, birthday. And the Gibson bus came and Henry from Gibson and uh, Larry Coriel was playing. And um, we had a, a cake shaped like a Les Paul for him and everything. It was cool. Larry Coriel. And, yeah, it was, it was a cool night. Student co-host Jess Frank, let us give you the show for a bit, and then we will go to tweets. Go. Okay. So my first question is, I think someone else tweeted about it too, right? The uh, age limit thing and everything? Bobby Mahoney, actually. Okay. All right. So this goes out to Bobby, too. How do you feel about age limits? Because you have a restaurant slash bar slash club slash basically everything that you can have in one building. Um, it's cool if, if kids come with their parents, of course, that's okay. If if somebody underage really is into music, you know, wants to see it, I'm okay that I tell them to break their hands if they drink. But um, I don't like I don't like to reach out to a lot of that. I know, like Terminal 5 does that, and, and um, I think Barry Borum. The thing is, if, you know, you put a wristband, if you're my girlfriend, you're 19, I'm 21, I go up to the bar, buy two beers, and I hand you one, and an SLA guy comes in, I get popped. You know, and it, and you just can't control all that, so it scares me. So I don't really go out of my way to welcome young people. But I remember when it was like when I was young, and you want to hear music. If a kid wants to hear music, we are a restaurant, so it's okay if they come watch a show. But we just don't we don't do a lot of underage stuff now. Yeah, because like when I want to open my own venue eventually, twenty years from now, and it's not so uh, dismal with the whole like right. money factory yeah. and everything. I want to do like open mic nights and stuff too for like high sure. school or college kids. So I don't want to limit the age limit to like only 21 because I would have a bar too because you do make a lot of money from drink sales and everything. Right. But I don't know, like, should I be like eight, 18 and older or like 16 and older without a parent and anyone else like under that? Like, you got to be careful. Or does it depend on like the artist too? And like, well, what's it depends going on. on what we do. We do afternoon things sometimes, like school of rock kind of things. So those kids perform and the parents come and we'll do lunch and they order stuff like that. So you can do separate things like that during the day is better. It doesn't interfere with your night business. But you really have to get people to spend it. If a kid's 15, how much can they really spend? And with Manhattan overhead, yeah, it would be it's not to be mean. Parents, like yeah. what are their parents willing to spend than yeah. what they are? Right. If the parents are there, it helps. But if you have a bunch of kids, how much can they spend, it with, spend without drinking or anything? You know, it's hard. 
So we've done private events like bar mitzvahs and things where you have you know young kids. Yeah, just like families and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You want me to keep asking keep my going. questions? Give okay. us more. All right. So, what are the most important deciding factors in the location of your venue? Like highways, you should be by parking. Everything. Okay. Well, in Manhattan, it's subways are important. We have the six outside our door. Parking is certainly important. Where we are, you can park on the street after 6 and on weekends. That's a major plus. Plus, there's a parking garage up the street you can send people to. So that's important because a lot of people are coming in from Long Island, Jersey, Westchester, all that. Um, pedestrian traffic's great if you can get that also. It's usually a trade-off. Now, the hardest thing for me finding a location, which was a needle in a haystack, was, first of all, high enough ceilings because you're putting a stage up two feet. So the ceilings got to be at least 14 feet. Ours are 18, 20, I forget. They're really high. So you need that if you're hanging lights and all that stuff if you're doing filming. Second problem, which is a big problem, is column placement. All New York high-rises are columns everywhere, so it kills the sight lines. If you remember, the bottom line had that column in the yeah. middle of the stage yeah. everybody talks about. So I had a realtor tell me, well, can't you just put a table behind the column and charge them less? It's like, no, nobody wants to sit behind a column. So <laughs> ours are 20 feet apart, so we got a stage right between them so it works out well of course be better with no columns you know but unfortunately that's new york and the third thing is no one living upstairs you can have one disgruntled neighbor that can make your life a living hell so we're in a commercial building so nobody's there at night the column placement was 20 feet apart and the ceilings are 20 feet and was parking on the streets so that worked out well however it's it's not in like a real high traffic nightlife area like uh, lower east side or meatpacking if you go down the meatpack to um, lower east side they're small like 1200 2000 square foot you know, size places we couldn't bring in the kind of national acts and the huge parties that we get. Like that's there. more underground than what you yeah. would be getting there. And that's the you know five dollar cover, three dollar Pepsi ribbon, young kids, and it's a scene. You know, they get a pizza slice and hang out. If you go to meatpacking, it's like three hundred dollars square foot. The rents are off the wall, so to get a place as big would be a fortune. Plus, there aren't any. So we had to go to a more industrial area to get a space this size. Now, if you picked this up and dropped it in the meatpacking on the east side, you wouldn't be able to get in. There's so much foot traffic. So it's frustrating. So you got to take additional money and time to put into marketing. If you have a better location, you don't have to market as strong because people are walking by like crazy. Or if it was in Times Square, it'd be a different kind of... New Yorkers won't get there because it's not cool. But, I'm, but I know like Iridium, right. BB King's out around, so they get a ton of walk-in. The, the owners of Iridium told me 90% of the business is walk-in. Big neon sign, BB King's people, tourists think BB King owns it. We'll drop in there here, and we got to do, let's go here, Jazz or New York. So when they go here, they don't, you know. So you got so much of that. So where we are, you got to be wanting to come here. It's a destination location. So I would try to get as much pedestrian traffic as you can, but it's hard. And it's good if you have businesses by, give you good after-work crowd. And the residents are great because they'll support you as your local bar. But again, it could be a negative. Mm-hmm. Let me uh, throw a tweet in there in between. At Phil Engsberg uh, wants to know, what are the turnoffs for you when booking a band? And do you prefer bands to approach you in person? And what are some of the myths about the booking process with you? The, the myth is we get emails from all over the world. We're going to be in New York. We want to play there, Italy, France, Wyoming, wherever. And they think that New York is Clive Davis is hanging out, going from club to club, looking for the next great thing. And all the clubs are packed like on TV movies. The, the thing is, if you don't have your own following, you're going to play for the sound man. Because right. people, there's so much to do in Manhattan. And Manhattan people like, been there, done that. They're jaded. So they're not just going out looking like it was in the 60s. I was telling the story earlier. When the rascal played the telephone booth, I wasn't there. I was too young. But I read about it. There was, after they did like a four-day, the work got out so quick. There was a line. Burt Backrack, Carol Bayer Sayer, Tom Jones. All these people are in line waiting to see the next great thing. That, that You sought that out. Today, there's so much home entertainment with Facebook and cable and downloading. 
everything. People aren't going out as much, so it's people. The word doesn't get around. So um, the heart, that's the heart, that's the biggest myth is bands think, oh, they come to New York and can't you just give them an Oprah? Can't you just, no, if you don't have a following, it's very tough. Um, what drives you crazy is the great players usually don't demand anything. They just go and play their asses off. Um, it's these bands that don't bring in, hey, man, you got water. Hey, man, you got, hey, man, they, you know, they can drive you crazy, that stuff. Get, so get up and play and don't demand so much stuff, you know, the posers. So, so is that one of the reasons why we have this pay-to-play yeah. situation yeah, because no, no. if a band wants to get in and the club owner still has their overhead yeah. and they know they're not going to attract people unless they bring them sure. literally with them yeah. in so they make them sell 200 tickets or 100 tickets Exactly, or yeah, that's good. That, that's a big thing in L.A. People resent it. There's one primo slot at 8 o'clock. So if you come and don't bring anybody, that's a missed opportunity for the club. Then you got the waitresses and bartenders complaining to me because they're there. They're not making any money because mm-hmm. there's nobody there. So we have to staff every night. Do I need four girls? Do I need five girls? And then a band brought 100 people last time. This time they had 10, and you staffed it. To, for the hundred, like last time, so all these girls around, they're all mad. They came all the way in. They're not making any money. They got to pay the rent. That's the first thing. Second of all, you're you're charging a covered charge. Nine percent of that goes to sales tax. Three percent goes to the if you're using a credit card machine that goes to that. Then the band's getting. We do a door split. The van gets a line share. I'm lucky if what's left covers my sound man and my door girl. Mm-hmm. After that, so if people aren't drinking, eating, you're losing a lot of money because it costs a fortune between rent, insurance, electric, the licensing fees, all the different fees and fines the city puts you through, staff, all that stuff. It's very expensive. So if people don't spend, the only chance you have is is uh, is the food and drink, really, because the cover charge is nothing. That's you know, that's people don't understand. This is twenty dollar minimum. I bought a ticket that goes to the band. So if people don't drink, you might as well be in a park and do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. By the way, uh, before. Did I interrupt you? I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Okay. Before uh, the next question is, uh, Fatima Dykite is listening to, and she says, Finding gigs in New York is such a pain. Tonight's radio show is so informative, just what I need. Oh, great. Thank Very you. Good. Yeah. So thank Very you, nice. Steve. Jess Frank. Yeah. More ass kissing. Just kidding. <laughs> um, so you're talking about the economy issues, and I don't know, is it specifically mostly for New York? And even if it's not, though, like... So many New York City venues have been closing. Like, what? What's the one in New York? A Roseland or yeah, Roseland. Yeah. That's yeah, right. like that was well known. CGBG. Yeah, closed, the like, property all... they can build a high rise and make more money. Mm-hmm. The, the air rights. That's what how do you keep that. yours afloat though? Besides just selling, it's a struggle. Food? Yeah, well, it's just struggle. Anything that works, believe me, it's a lot of work. A lot of work and being creative, like we said earlier. Food, booze, private events, merch, anything you can do to bring in bring in money and still keep integrity. You know, but it's hard. Believe me, it's not like you lay back. When is your lease up? Um, we got ten plus five, and then he said he renewed it ninety percent of market. So oh, okay. <laughs> hopefully you will. Yeah, they don't give more than ten year leases anymore. Years ago, people get thirty, forty yeah, year leases. Yeah. Now landlords, you know, want to keep raising rent, and they all think they had a Chase Bank or something, so they don't. Don't give long leases anymore. Right. You know? But right. it's a shame all this place. CB's, I know, didn't do much. The, the bar itself wasn't properly made it in the T-shirts. He had a tremendous clothing business with that name. But think about it. The punk rockers didn't spend big money on no. those. They didn't have any money. So, it, you know, that wasn't a real profitable thing. I think it's worth more now, it seems. Yeah, know? just because of the T-shirts yeah. that still people wear. All that. Yeah. Are you building yeah. that mystique? Is that part of Definitely. your strategic plan? Yes, because you know what? I don't own the building. The liquor gets poured out. The staff comes and goes, all you really have is that brand. 
Yeah. And today, everything's spending. With that brand, if you get it hot, then we can open up in other cities, like a House of Blues or something. That's a long-term plan. You can't make a lot in Manhattan, but Manhattan, Manhattan you have to establish that name, that mystique, the cutting room in New York City. And then the, the musicians who know you from there, they're in Vegas. If you have one there, they'll come play. They'll come hang out. So I think, you know, that, that's where it's at today. So if you would choose New York City over L.A., you would choose New York City? I think so, but I do love L.A. I always have fun there. What scares me about L.A. is people drive home. And that's a tremendous liability. Yeah, Here there's a lot of accidents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, he- I heard they're really hard on you, the fire department and all that. That's what I've heard as far as opening and really busting your chops. But I would like to have one in L.A. Why the name The Cutting Room? We were originally going to open The Cutting Room of a, le- of a Leather Factory on 37th Street. However, there's a cutting room. It's an old jazz expression. There's yes. a cutting room film, a cutting room fashion, cutting records, cutting edge. So it's kind of an ambiguous, arty name, you know. Uh-huh. Great. You're from Jersey, George Dassinger yeah. tells me. Where yeah, in down, Jersey? Outside of Asbury Park, Ocean Township. Okay, so vibrant music scene oh, yeah, when you were uh, growing oh, up. Oh, God, yeah, convention hall. I, did, I had a light show at the Sunshine Inn. So I'd work Richie Havens, Polka Harum, Humble Pie Jagos, Rory Gallagher, Roy Buchanan, Polka Harum, Field Mac. It was amazing. It's great. You see how he can just throw those names out like like <laughs> right. like it was yesterday. Yeah, it was it was incredible. I was like fifteen, sixteen years old. It, you know that is cool. Uh, uh, Mio at WP. We have a student organization called the Music and Entertainment Organization, and there's a guy, a great guy named John, who runs the Twitter account for Mio, and wants to know uh, what is your most memorable and favorite show that was ever held at the Cutting Room. Wow, it's been so many. Well, certainly the Howard Stern show I talked about. Billy Joel up there playing, you know, angry young man, just Billy Joel on the stage in a small setting. Judy Collins doing both sides now. Pete Seeger having 300 people sing Turn, Turn, Turn with him. That was pretty amazing. Rodriguez was cool. Um, Peter Asher's show was pretty amazing. Mm. Some of the British Invasion stuff is really cool. Chad and Jeremy at the old cutting room doing a summer song. We had Shella Crow at the old cutting room uh, with Gwyneth Paltrow and Kid Rock joined her. So, uh, oh, Carly Simon at the old cutting room when she jumped up with her son, Ben Taylor and Sally Taylor. And she did uh, um, some of uh, they did um, oh, the James Taylor song. Uh, you can close your eyes. It's all right. in Three part harmony. That was gorgeous. And mm-hmm. she did some of her hits. That was pretty cool. Those wow. are some, some of the highlights. At Valerie Earp wants to know, because you brought up earlier the, the, the show in which you had Billy Joel and all those right, people. So right. how were you able to book this Sirius XM radio private event with Howard Stern, Billy Joel, Tony uh, Bennett, and Dean Sirius called us and did a walkthrough, and they liked it, and they kept going to their venues, and uh, I was praying that we'd get it. And so they chose us, thank God, and um, it was really special. We, they came in on Sunday, a lot of setup. It was a Monday morning show. And um, a lot of setup on Sunday. Did it on Monday. We kept it secretive, of course. And then uh, it happened. It was pretty special. It was pretty special. I'm really, and it went really well. And since then, we've done Jason Mraz, who's serious. They've closed us with other things. We have a good relationship with them now. They're, you know, we both really enjoy working with each other. So it was great. But that was really special. And Howard really liked it. And they were really happy about that because Howard doesn't, doesn't go out that often. Mm-hmm. But it, it was really cool to have that. Pink was really sweet. She, knew, she introduced herself to me as Alicia. It's a nice Jewish girl. Both her parents are with her. <laughs> but it was it was really cool. I mean, that was really special. And in a situation like that, is that really a, sort of a barter thing? They're going to come in. They're not going to pay for the place, but you're getting incredible exposure. Exactly. Is that their pitch to you? Exactly. I think they may have bought some appetizers. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. That gets into that. Yeah, well worth it. You can't buy that kind of publicity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Jess, do you have another? Uh, no. The other ones were already answered, so... Okay. Um, let us get to uh, Daniel Escusa. 
wants to know who helped you most in the renovation of the cutting room because he said is it a, it's an absolutely beautiful place. Oh, thank um, you. And that's another part of it. So you leave the other place. How much time was it in between the closing, um, the opening, and it was, talk about it? was four years. It took four years to find a space, but I started two years before we closed. I had a lease on this place in 2007. Then the carpet store that was there decided they didn't want to leave. So then uh, the landlord called me in in 2000, I don't know, I think nine or 10, um, and said, it's, it's available again. You still want it? I said, I got to look at it. I barely remember it. And then when I went back, it looked better than I remember because I've seen so many places that didn't work in between. And then it took two years to do the build out. Not so much the physical work is waiting for the city to finally approve the plans, mm-hmm. finally do the inspections. They're in no rush, you know. So and you're paying rent that you weren't counting on paying. So. It was hell. You know, a type E fire alarm. I had to bring 800 amps of electric from the street. We had to bring um, a five and a half inch gas line in for the street. We had to vent the kitchen up 12 stories. Emergency lights, exit exit lights. You had to change the doors and stairs to 44 inches instead of 36. Not to get technical. Once you change, for those of you who can open a place, once you change the use group, it's like a brand new place. So the 2008 laws apply. And if it already was a restaurant, eating, drinking establishment, it's grandfathered. But once you change the use group, it was retail to eating. Now, it's like a brand new place. So now i got to take a 1918 building and bring it up to current code. So it's very difficult and time-consuming. So um, it was a 44 years in between when we closed and opened. And who helped me? The contractor. It was certainly a community effort. Got, as you open up, you're still doing little things that you're seeing work. We're, you know, we're still doing little things to this day, changing the artwork and things that work, maybe table placement, rearranging, getting different types of tables. So, um, certainly a contractor and artists and friends. How is it else. dealing with uh, your partner investors during this time? Because obviously there's no money coming in. It's only going out and that. How are you? They, I think they were supportive and felt sorry for me because everybody's heard how hard it is. And, you know, they see how hard we're doing, how hard we are working to do it. So there wasn't pressure or anything, though. nothing like that. But I feel I put pressure on myself because people who believe me and put up money, you don't want to let them down. That's more important than my own money to me, you know. Sure. So it's it's self-imposed pressure. Okay. Um, seven, seven days a week, are you open? Six to seven. If we get to Sunday brunch happening, it'll be seven. I'll do 24-7 if I can find something that works, believe me, with New York overhead. Sure. But it's hard. I wish nightlife was late like it used to be. You talked a little bit earlier about um, sort, of, sort of the cost, especially like for the artists. But can you, when, you, when you're talking to any of these artists, are the deals uh, strictly you get Everything you get the full door, or is it a guarantee with a percentage? Um, Talk about your different. We do deals. a door split, so the artist has incentive to bring more people to get a bigger percentage of the door. I don't remember exact numbers, but it starts at like a a um, seventy uh, a sixty forty split. So artists get sixty forty at the beginning. They get a certain amount more people. I remember it was seventy five. I can't remember. Then they get seventy per seventy thirty. Get over a hundred people, they get eighty percent of the door. Mm-hmm. We'll get twenty. So they get that. So they have something to work for. When you do national acts, usually there's a guarantee and then a back end. So they'll say it's right. like a five thousand dollar guarantee and then seventy percent over that or whatever mm-hmm. because they're coming in from another state. They got to fly in or hotels. Sometimes they make that part of the deal. Well, you got to pay hotels or transportation or whatever. Now we had Ronnie Wood. We have relationship with British Airways across the street. So they they gave me all the flights. So we had like wow. six round trip first class tickets for Ronnie, Mick Taylor, Ronnie's wife, guitar tech, uh, production guy, man. So all, we couldn't have done that without British Airways. So British Airways flew all them in. We gave them primo seats and buffet and, and a banner. They've been great. They, they're the ones who brought us Roger Daltrey. So we have a good relationship with them. 
So when artists uh, sell the merch, do you take a piece of the merch? No, I know a lot of people do take ten and twenty. I feel funny doing that. So we don't mm-hmm. do it. Madison Square Garden takes 40. Do they really? Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's why I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, these guys are traveling. I feel sorry for them. What am I going to get? It's, it's, you know what I mean? Right. So, that, so then I know I'm going to go back to my spreadsheet uh, metaphor or analogy of, okay, so you know that you have this band coming in and it's uh, they want $5,000 guarantee. They want a percentage over and above. So how are you figuring out how much to charge for the ticket? And, and I'm sorry. And then follow up. Um, are you, is the do you have dynamic pricing with the with the menu, with the food, and with the drinks, or is that always pretty much the same? Separate. We tried doing that, but it does get confusing. A, a, a prefix makes sense. What we'll do is say they want five thousand dollars, and you figure to sell a hundred tickets hypothetically. So you need fifty dollars a ticket. We work backwards like that. Mm-hmm. Also, you can do some VIP seating to help bring you more money to pay sure. for an expensive band. So you might get better seating and a meet and greet for more money, like we're doing with the councils. There's some primo seating. In the, in the meet and greet. Um, we do things with CEGs. Another company does a lot of jam bands. They remove tables in the middle, and that's general admission. They have tables and chairs on the sides at VIP. That's one way they do it, to get enough money to pay the bands that they have. They have they do more like standing. Now, the problem with standing is, you, there goes your food business. And if you're standing in the middle, it's hard for a waitress to get to them, and if they don't want to leave where they are to get to the bar. And when you have a glass or a bottle, where do you put it? So, it, so it's, it's tough, but if they bring enough volume... And then go into the bar, then it's you know then it's okay. But um, you know that, that's the issue with, with standing. We well, had Lauren Hill too a couple weeks ago. Just remind. What, what what I think is really important is the way you're just thinking that through, which a lot of people just think, oh, you just you know places price it out. But you have to think about the actual experience of the consumer, yeah. who's going to be standing there, or, mm-hmm. or your patron. Sure. You know, have okay, I have this drink. What do I do with it? Where do I put it? Mm-hmm. I can't buy food. The right. waitress, you know, all those li- little logistical sure. things are so important yeah. that, that you actually think sure. through, which is, I think is... Yeah, a lot of the rock bands like people stand as they get into it, but it, consumers aren't always crazy about right. it. Right, okay. Any final words, Steve? Because we actually have to no, very uh, wrap up. Yeah, this has been very cool. So yeah. I think at this point, we should thank, first of all, George Dassinger, our uh, yes. on-staff media use in the music and entertainment industry professor for bringing Steve Walter in. So thank you, George Dassinger. George Dassinger's class is actually sitting outside listening away. We and um, Yeah, and I, I think they probably like my voice. Yeah. There. <laughs> They're sleeping right now. But uh, according to Fatima, who t- uh, tweeted in, um, we're doing okay. So thank you, George. Thank you, Steve Walter, for coming on in from New York City. All you guys out there, come say hello. Come by and uh, talk to me. Give me your new marketing ideas. We, we have some. So we will do that. We want to thank Jess Frank for being our student thank co-host and bringing her me. questions. Thank you very much, Jess Frank. Always awesome thank yous to Philip Gorakovsky, who is our producer extraordinaire, which is a French word. Do you, you say know it what? like that every time? What? Uh, extraordinaire? Yeah. No, I always no, say it like that. Gors- yeah, Gorakovsky, that's uh, how they pronounce it in Japan. And then, of course, we have the best co-host ever made, Stephen Marconi, El Doctor! El Doctor! Bless you. Yes, we are all blessed. And of course, my name is David Kirk Philp. You may call me Professor David Kirk Philp. You may call me. Next week we have. Guests. Next week we have Michael Kurtz, who is the founder of Record Store Day, which is a big deal. Very interesting. Yes, so we're listening to The World is Ours, Alan Mack Project. You have been listening to Music Biz 101 and more on WPSC, Brave Radio 80.7. On your FM dial, and I would like to thank you and always say to you, Adios!
second thoughts, let me let you know the world is us. We're taking it over.